welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Yay! Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for yourselves and everyone else. And when sharing those qualities with others, let us always come from a place of sincerity. Because those qualities, which are inherent within all of us, even if we don't realize it, are of the highest order. And those qualities represent the spirit of the living God within us, our mighty I Am Presence. Now, my initial intention a few years ago was to share this information and make ones aware of I Am teachings those ones who may not have known about it. I share the I Am teachings on the website and in the podcast because I see it as a way to make the information available to those who want it without me having to force it upon those who don't. It takes energy, time, and effort, and I have found it to be a waste of those precious commodities when sharing this information to those not interested in an attempt to make them interested or to force it upon them. I've said it before, if there's something or somewhere where I can be of help, please reach out to me. That way, I'll know where to expend the energy, time, and effort. And of course, I could always use some help as well, because this is not just my cause, but for the benefit of all of us. What truly matters, though, is awakening mankind's consciousness to the fact that there's a light within every man and woman, which is our life stream and it is the spirit and the power of God within us, and we must make use of it. There are a lot of crises and issues in the country and the world that need our undivided attention, and there are many effective people in the world doing their parts to make this country and the world a better place, and I certainly appreciate it. But, believe it or not, none of the age-old issues, such as racism, injustice, violence and destruction in this country and the world will ever be remedied until there is a change in the moral consciousness of mankind, a change from the inside out. And truly, on the inside of each and every one of us dwells the answers to all mankind's dilemmas. And there, right there, is where we must start. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life, and y'all be loved. Of purity. From this temperance there springs purity both of soul and of body, for none can be perfectly pure in body and in soul save him who is temperate in body and in soul. Purity of spirit is this, that a man should not cleave to any creature with desirous affection, but to God alone, for we should use all creatures, but enjoy only God. Purity of spirit makes a man cleave to God, above all understanding, and above all feelings, and above all the gifts which God may pour into his soul, for all that a creature receives in his understanding and in his feeling, purity will pass by, to rest in God. Go therefore to the sacrament of the altar, not for the sake of refreshment, nor because of desire, nor for pleasure, nor for peace, 
nor for satisfaction, nor for sweetness, nor for anything else than the glory of God in your own growth in all virtues. This is purity of spirit. Purity of heart is this, that a man, in every bodily temptation or natural inclination, of his own free will, and with an ever-renewed confidence and without hesitation, turns to God, with an ever-renewed faithfulness, and with a firm will ever to remain with Him. For consenting to those sins or satisfactions, which the bodily nature seeks like a beast, is a departure from God. Purity of body is this, that a man withdraws from, and bewares of, all unchaste deeds, in whatsoever manner they be, which his conscience teaches and declares to be unchaste, and contrary to the commandments, the honor, and the will of God. By these three kinds of purity the seventh mortal sin is overcome and cast out, that is, unchastity. And this is a consenting and turning of the spirit from God to some creaturely thing, it is the unchaste work of the body contrary to the dispensation of holy church, it is a sensual dwelling of the heart upon the taste or enjoyment of some creature, whatsoever it be. But thereby I do not mean those sudden movements of appetite and desire, which no one can prevent. Now you should know that purity of spirit keeps a man in the likeness of God, untroubled by any creature inclined towards God, and united with him. Purity of body is likened to the whiteness of lilies and to the cleanness of the angels. In withstanding, it is likened to the redness of roses and to the nobleness of martyrs. If it is kept for the love and the glory of God, it is perfect. And so it is likened to the sunflower, for it is one of the highest ornaments of nature. Purity of heart works a renewal and increase of the grace of God. By purity of heart all the virtues are prompted, practiced and preserved. It guards and keeps the senses from without, it quells and restrains the animal lusts from within, it is an adornment of all inwardness. And it is the door of the heart, barred against all earthly things and all deceit, but open to all heavenly things and to all truth. And of all such Christ says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, and in this vision consist our eternal joy, our reward and our entrance into bliss. Therefore men should be sober and temperate in all things, and beware of all intercourse and occasion whereby purity, whether of soul or of body, may be defiled. The Adornment of the Spiritual Marriage by Jan Van Riesbrook, 1916The proof that they were proficient in mathematical sciences, lies in the fact that those ancient mathematicians whom we honor as the fathers of geometry went to Egypt to be instructed. Says Professor Smith, as quoted by Mr. Peebles, the geometrical knowledge of the pyramid builders began where Euclid's ended. Before Greece came into existence, the arts, with the Egyptians, were ripe and old. Land measuring, an art resting on geometry, the Egyptians certainly knew well, as, according to the Bible, Joshua, after conquering the Holy Land, had skill enough to divide it. And how could a people so skilled in natural philosophy as the Egyptians were, not be proportionately skilled in psychology and spiritual philosophy? The temple was the nursery of the highest civilization, and it alone possessed that higher knowledge of magic which was in itself the quintessence of natural philosophy. The occult powers of nature were taught in the greatest secrecy and the most wonderful cures were performed during the performing of the mysteries. Herodotus acknowledges that the Greeks learned all they knew, including the sacred services of the temple, from the Egyptians, and because of that, their principal temples were consecrated to Egyptian divinities. Melampus, 
The famous healer and soothsayer of Argos, had to use his medicines after the manner of the Egyptians, from whom he had gained his knowledge, whenever he desired his cure to be thoroughly effective. He healed Iphiclus of his impotency and debility by the rust of iron, according to the direction of Mantis, his magnetic sleeper or oracle. Sprengel gives many wonderful instances of such magical cures in his history of medicine. Diodorus, in his work on the Egyptians, lib. I, says that Isis has deserved immortality, for all nations of the earth bear witness to the power of this goddess to cure diseases by her influence. This proved, he says, not by fable as among the Greeks, but by authentic facts. Galen records several remedial means which were preserved in the healing wards of the temples. He mentions also a universal medicine which in his time was called Isis. H.P. Blavatsky The doctrines of several Greek philosophers, who had been instructed in Egypt, demonstrates their profound learning. Orpheus, who, according to Artapanus, was a disciple of Moises, Moses, Pythagoras, Herodotus and Plato owe their philosophy to the same temples in which the wise Solon was instructed by the priests. Anticlides relates, says Pliny, that the letters were invented in Egypt by a person whose name was Menon, 15 years before Pharaonius the most ancient king of Greece. Yablonsky proves that the heliocentric system, as well as the Earth's sphericity, were known by the priests of Egypt from immemorial ages. This theory, he adds, Pythagoras took from the Egyptians, who had it from the Brahmins of India. Fenelon, the illustrious Archbishop of Cambrai, in his Lives of the Ancient Philosophers, credits Pythagoras with this knowledge, and says that besides teaching his disciples that as the earth was round there were antipodes, since it was inhabited everywhere, the great mathematician was the first to discover that the morning and evening star was the same. If we now consider that Pythagoras lived in about the 16th Olympiad, over 700 years BC, and taught this fact at such an early period, we must believe that it was known by others before him. The works of Aristotle, Laertius, and several others in which Pythagoras is mentioned demonstrate that he had learned from the Egyptians about the obliquity of the ecliptic, the starry composition of the Milky Way, and the bar of light of the moon. Wilkinson, corroborated later by others, says that the Egyptians divided time, knew the true length of the year, and the procession of the equinoxes. By recording the rising and the setting of the stars, they understood the particular influences which proceed from the positions and conjunctions of all heavenly bodies, and therefore their priests, prophesying as accurately as our modern astronomers, meteorological changes, could, and plus, astrologize through astral motions. Though the sober and eloquent Cicero may be partially right in his indignation against the exaggerations of the Babylonian priests, who assert that they have preserved upon monuments observations extending back during an interval of 470,000 years, still, the period at which astronomy had arrived at its perfection with the ancients is beyond the reach of modern calculation. H.P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 14 In visualizing the sevenfold flame within your own forehead, beloved Arcturus flame is located on the left side of your forehead, and beloved Hercules flame is on the right side of your forehead, as depicted in the illustration. Beloved I Am Ascended Master Youth of the Mighty Saint Germain, and of light everywhere, we come to you today bringing the joy and the enjoyment of our great powers of life's perfection, 
all of which you crave within yourselves, sometimes knowingly and sometimes unknowingly. Sometimes the desire for our purity and perfection is a craving within your feeling world that never is satisfied until you receive that which we alone can give. And if you will learn to charge the outer self with the satisfaction of our great love and purity to life, you will not be touched by the conditions of the outer world that are purely hypnotic, because anything and everything that is not the eternal perfection of life and its mighty, great, infinite love from the great central sun, all that is not our eternal purity, all that is not the limitless freedom and unconditional use of all life's powers of perfection, everything that is not that, is out of the sinister force and is nothing but hypnotic suggestion. Now, we want to take you through the experiences that are still ahead of you, untouched by those conditions of the outer world that strike into the average person. Because they do not know how, individuals of the outer world do not know how, to shut that out, they go down under its failure. I want you to feel today that if you want the master powers of life, which we have the authority to confer upon you so long as you place your mighty eye in presence first and send it your love, and then call to us for whatever added powers are required to enable your life stream to take you forward victoriously in anything to which you turn your attention, so long as it be constructive, we will clothe you with the power without limit to accomplish everything your hearts desire. Now, we are trying to clothe you in mantles of our substance and those activities of the sacred fire that will take you through outer world conditions. While you may observe them and see the effects they produce, yet you will be kept free from the desire to enter into that which would one day wreck you. Beloved Elohim of Purity The great law of purity is the law of perfection, and since all powers of the universe are held within that great treasure house of life's mighty cosmic Christ love, then if you simply demand that the outer self become a blazing sun of its presence, and the violet consuming flame consumes all else, then as you demand your invincible protection, you are armored with the strength of the light and our purity that makes it safe for you to use these greater powers of life, and thus, you make yourselves worthy of their use in the physical world, and someone must draw them into outer use, my dear ones, if there is to be any improvement among mankind. You might think mankind are progressing by this, that, or the other outer world accomplishment, but I tell you, until the people return to purity, there is no permanent improvement. They might want purity, and they might rebel furiously against the penalty that they are constantly paying for impurity, but unless they will turn in humble, grateful obedience to that mighty I am presence, and clothe themselves in its eternal, invincible love of eternal purity, unless that comes first, they will but go on marking time, doing and undoing the things they desire to do in the outer world. Mankind have gone on for two and a half million years, building, 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 and tearing down what they have built. What do you think abides today on earth in the way of constructive accomplishment, which has been saved, or carried through the centuries of the past, that is now to come into the outer use of those who are to build the permanent perfection of the future? Everything that is of value on this earth that has been a constructive accomplishment of the past, all that has been preserved in the beds of the oceans, hermetically sealed, all that has been preserved in the retreats, all that is of any permanent existence on the earth, has been preserved and protected by the ascended host, not by mankind themselves. Beloved Elohim of Purity, 